Um, so let's read the passage that we'll be, we'll be looking at this morning. Matthew 1, 22, 23. Reads, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, all, the, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Verse 22 is kind of the, the beginning of this. We're going to spend most of our time in 23, but, but 22 sets up 23. And what 22 says is all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So now we're, um, the, the text is going to quote Isaiah 7.14. So all of this had been spoken, all of this had been said to prepare, right, to, 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 to prophesy that, that Jesus would come. And so, so this text, kind of the, the setup of the entirety of the text, is this um, took place to fulfill what God had spoken through the prophet in Isaiah 7.14. And the first thing that we see in, in, in verse 23 is that Jesus is the fulfillment And so this had been spoken, and so what's spoken? Behold, look, fix your gaze upon. Hey, this is super important. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The first thing we see is the prophecy of God. Behold, the virgin. There will be a miraculous conception that a a Savior is going to enter into this world, unique, different, one of a kind, unlike any other, only begotten. He is the, the, there's none like him that has ever been, that will ever be. Jesus is unique. So behold, the virgin, miraculous conception, she shall conceive and bear a son. That she shall conceive and bear a son. Um, you know, this is a point in, in, in our life. We're kind of in this place. Conceive and bear a son. I, I read this text a little bit differently today because it's one thing to conceive and it's another thing to bear. There's this thing that we feel like we, we have control, right? Once the baby's born, we can hold it. We can care for it. But when we've only conceived, there's this 40 weeks of tension. Anybody I mean, that's had children, you remember this, right? This, this tension of we, we were hopeful, but we haven't seen, we haven't held. Now, we actually never have control over life, right? We all know that. But we feel like we do. We can feed it, and there, we, can, we can touch it. We can do all these things. But in conception, so I find it interesting in this text this morning, shall conceive and bear that he is going to have an immaculate conception, and he is going to be born, and he's going to walk around in flesh and blood. And so Mary had a great right, pregnancy. She never worried, right? She never worried Jesus was going to come. The prophecy was going to come to come. It was going to come true. So there's real hope in this. This guarantee by God that she shall conceive and bear a son. So we see the prophecy of God, but we also see the mission of God that he has fulfilled and is fulfilling. She shall conceive and bear a son. The mission of God, this, this is the drumbeat of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the, could be described as the anticipation of the Savior, that he is coming, that there's one who needs to come. If you read through the Old Testament, what you could hear over and over is just boom, boom, boom. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. There's this need. There's this brokenness. We see it in Genesis 1 that there's this 
perfect, perfect walk with God that Adam and Eve had. There was no sin. There was no struggle. There was no brokenness of their relationship. They walked with God well. They didn't wonder how they looked. They didn't wonder what one another thought about them. Everything worked well together. And then Adam and Eve re- rebelled against God. They didn't believe that God was sufficient. They didn't believe that he, he could fulfill everything they needed. They thought there was something better. And they turned to that something better. And instantaneously, there's a prophecy that's spoken in Genesis 3. And inside that prophecy in Genesis 3 will be an image that there is one to come, that Jesus is coming. He will put enmity between you and your woman, the woman, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The bruise his head and his heel is this, this image that a Savior is going to come. And he's going to make things right again. And the image comes. And then through the rest of the Old Testament, what we see. Now, if you don't like blood, you shouldn't read the Old Testament. Because it's a book filled with blood and sacrifice. It's a blood where animals are cut in half for atonement. And blood is spilt on the ground. It happens immediately when Adam and Eve sin. An animal is killed, and clothing is made, and blood is poured out on the ground to cover them. Cain and Abel. Abel brings a sacrifice of blood. Cain does not. Blood is spilt, and blood is not. One is acceptable, one is not acceptable. The flood covers the earth, and in worship to God, Noah slays an animal and offers a sacrifice. Blood is spilt. Abraham and Isaac, God says, Abraham, go and sacrifice your son. And he goes up onto the mountain. And he goes up on the mountain with being a righteous man and obeying God. He has every intent to obey God. And because of that intent, God spares his son and gives us an image of a ram. Not an image. He gives him a ram in, in, a, in a thorn bush, which is a picture of Jesus. And the, and the lamb, the, the, the ram then is slain and blood is spilled to atone for the sins of the people. And over and over and over through the Old Testament, we see atonement is needed. Atonement is needed, but nothing is sufficient. It's not enough. The bulls and goats and pigeons and animals, they are not enough to atone for our sins. There needs to be one who comes. And through the, all the Old Testament, what the scriptures keep saying over and over is, he is coming, he is coming, he is coming. Some believe and accept and follow God and experience his favor and his rule and his reign, and others reject and rebel. And at the end of the Old Testament, we see rejection and rebellion, and God goes dark, silent, no prophet for 400 years. The anticipation, the drumbeat, the drumbeat stops. The scriptures are not silent, but there's no prophet, no voice. And then this text. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. The prophet of prophets steps in. And we've been anticipating the Savior now in time and history. And the manifestation of Jesus comes. And the gospels show that he manifested himself amongst us. That he came and that he walked. That the one that the the scripture said was coming, was coming, was coming. He came. The word became flesh. It dwelt among us. Jesus came. He came bearing witness to the truth. That in him was the very nature of truth. He was a a truth, a very truth, as the scriptures say. He came as our atoning sacrifice. And blood comes again at the end of every gospel. 
the point of Jesus' life, the reason he came was to be beaten and to be bruised and to die a death on the cross for you and for me. He is our atoning sacrifice. There is no other sacrifices needed. Jesus is the fulfillment. He came. He walked on this earth. He was arrested in the garden. And he was brutally beaten for your sin and for my sin. The condemnation that I deserved, that you deserved, was poured out on him. The wrath that you and I deserved was poured out on him for our sin. Not only was wrath poured out upon Jesus, but his blood was poured out as the perfect blood of the lamb, spotless, born of a virgin, without fault, without failure, a new Adam, a second Adam, as Romans says it. Jesus, different, unique, one of a kind, not like us. His blood was poured out as our atoning sacrifice once and for all to pay the penalty of sin. He was buried in a tomb and he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He conquered death. He conquered the grips of it. And he, 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 he taught for 40 days. And at the end of that 40 days, he says, he says that at the end of that 40 days, he says that, that um, now go and make disciples of all nations. He says, go into all Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And he ascends to heaven. And he sits down at the right hand of God. And so the Old Testament, we see this waiting, this anticipation of Jesus coming. In the Gospels, we see his manifestation. But see, this isn't the end. It's not over yet. Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He wasn't just born in a manger. He died on a cross. And he didn't just die on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. But he didn't just stay in the tomb. He rose from the tomb. He rose from the dead. And he didn't just, just ascend down heaven and not say anything. He taught for 40 days. And then he ascended. He filled men with his spirit. And now we see the proclamation of Jesus and his work now moving into the world. And it began to be proclaimed in all Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. We see it in Acts. It's the, the book of Acts. It's the proclamation of Jesus to the known world. It starts in Jerusalem. And by the end of the book of Acts, it's in Asia Minor. It's in Rome. It's to the most distant lands that it had never been. See, Jesus said that he would proclaim himself to all nations, but he only lived in within 170 miles. And when he ascended on high, he moved in his disciples. The church began and the proclamation of Jesus went out to the ends of the earth. And so we see the anticipation, the manifestation in the Gospels. The book of Acts, we see the proclamation of Jesus to the known world. And then in the letters and the epistles, we see the explanation of what it means to be a Christian. What our theology looks like in the book of Romans, what it looks like to be a husband, a wife, a single person, a mom, a dad, all of the different pieces and parts. He says, live like this, go like this, center your life on Jesus like this. This is how you kill sin. This is how you live righteously. And the explanation of what it means to be a believer is exposed to us in the letters. And then, not only does, are we explain how to do this, we have this wonderful book called the book of Revelation. It says anyone who reads this book is blessed because at the end of this book, at the end of the story, all of us who have, who, have, who have come to know Jesus, who have his blood covering our lives, will stand before him one day and we will gaze upon his nail-scarred hands. We will look at the scars on his feet. We will look at the scars on his back and we will bow down and we will scream, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There will be no more tears, there will be no more death, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain. There will be worship of the one who gave himself for us. 
The one promised in Genesis 3 will be worshipped forever at the end of, at the end of time. See, the, the whole story of the Bible is about this man named Jesus who came that is our fulfillment. And at the end of time, the consummation of all things, revelation, we will cry to him, holy, holy, holy. See, not only do we see the mission of God, but we see the incarnation of Christ, the trustworthiness of God. He came and entered into this world. God came through the person of Jesus. He entered into our world. The prophecies came to be. God told the truth. God held to his promise. See, Jesus is the fulfillment, but I think many times we find ourselves in places like John the Baptist did. In Matthew 11, John the Baptist, the man who was of great faith, said, Jesus, you must increase in my life. I must, I must decrease. The man coming, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. The prophet who would come and who was prophesied about, who would come and say that, that the son is coming. At the end of his life in prison, he says, are you the Christ or should we look to another? See, I think the reality for most of us in our lives is we believe that Jesus is the fulfillment. I would guess that most people in this room believe that Jesus is the fulfillment, the one we've been waiting for. But when the press of life comes, when things get really hard, somewhere in our hearts we say, are you really there? Are, are you really my fulfillment? In the midst of my pain, in the midst of my struggle, are you there? When my child goes wayward, and everything falls apart, are you, are you there? When we experience the loss of a loved one, we say this hurts too bad, are you, are you there? Are you really my fulfillment? Because right now there seems to be something broken and missing inside of my soul that isn't being fulfilled. During the press of life, I don't know, have you ever felt this? Have you ever said, really, Jesus? I say to you today is that Jesus is the fulfillment. Remember, don't forget that he is the fulfillment that the scripture spoke of. He is the fulfillment at the end of the time. He is the one that we can look to. God can be trusted. He comes through. His promises never fail. And in those moments when the press comes, Say, yes, you are the fulfillment. Yes, you are enough. Yes, you are my fulfillment, Jesus. You are all I need. You are all I want. And in the midst of the trial and struggle, you are sufficient for me. See, we must hold on because Jesus is not just the fulfillment. Again, he is your fulfillment. He comes through. And the peace you want is the peace he has. The love you long for is the love he has. The joy you desperately want, he has for you. He is the fulfillment for the deepest things in each of our lives. The scripture, again, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He has come and he is our fulfillment. Not only is Jesus the fulfillment, Jesus is with us. It says, Jesus, it says, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. They shall call Joseph and Mary, 
right? Joseph and Mary, the, 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 the mother and the adopted father of Jesus, Joseph and Mary, they call his name. Now, this isn't just, his name is not Emmanuel. His name is Jesus, right? They were specifically told what his name on earth should be. And so this name is, is not a name. It's an attribute. It's a character. It's, it's who he is in the depths of his soul, in the depths of his, his character and DNA. He is Emmanuel. He is with us. See, and this is the key theme of the book of Matthew. And this is really the author in the birth of Jesus setting up the theme in which he will write it, write through the rest of the book that Jesus is with us. And he'll say it even at the end. You may remember this if you've read Matthew 28 before. The very end of the book, he says, and lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. This is the theme of the book. See, his deity is imminent. And the theological errors that we make about this with him is we think that facts draw us near, that, that facts make, a, make us close. And the more I know about him, the closer I become to him. And in some ways, this is true. The more I know about him, the more I'm able to worship him. But facts don't bring us necessarily close to Jesus. It's, it's recognizing and living in recognition of the one who has come, the one who is with me, the one that is there for me, the one who is always beside me, never leaving me, never forsaking me, and always with me. Hebrews 4.15 says, one who became like them in every way. Jesus stepped down and became like us. He came and lived with us on this planet. He knows our trial and our struggle. Struggle. In Hebrews 4.16, then it says, as God is with us, we can come boldly before God's throne, that we can come into his presence, that we can come and be with him. He is our father. He is with us. And even the verse before Matthew 1.22, Matthew 1.21 says, for he will save his people from their sin, that he will save us and that he will be with us. He is our Emmanuel. He is with us. This week in Cuba, I, at the end of the time, you typically on a trip like this with translators, I had a, had a guy translate for me all week, the poor, poor man who had to translate my terrible English eight hours a day, right? And so we're, we're together this whole time, and he's translating for me, and at the end of the week, I, I, um, I wanted to give him a gift, and I knew that finances were very hard for him. And again, so the average Cuban makes about $40 a month, um, something like that. And so I, uh, I really felt like it was appropriate for me to give him a little bit more money to help him and his, his wife and his two children. So I gave him a little bit more money. But through the week, we'd kind of gotten close, and he told me some stories about his life and where him and his family are. See, his father has dementia, there's not a lot of places for his father to be cared for, and because he's a Christian and because he believes in the dignity of life, he really felt the responsibility to take care of his father. And him and his brother both began to do this together, but his, his, his brother believes in God, but, but has not ever given his life to Jesus. And in this, they're duly kind of caring for his father. And, and so his father has dementia, and he, he goes over to his house early in the morning, and he'll... he'll He'll clean him up, and he'll put him in a chair, and him and his brother go back and forth and caring as they're at work. They come home, and they care for the father. 
And God specifically kind of like spoke to me about this, and I just felt urged to do this, is I gave him money, and I, I gave him a little bit more money. And I said, I'd like you to use this for your brother and your father. And he was already a bit emotional that I would give him some resources and the above and beyond what had been committed. But then he began to cry. And he said, I've translated for so many Christians, and they always tell me they'll pray for my father. But they've never given us money to help us care for my father. And he goes, but you have to understand, it's not about money. Money will be very helpful, but what means more is, see, my, my father and my brother, they're not believers in Jesus. And to be able to tell them that God spoke to a man to give them resources, a man who loves Jesus, maybe, maybe my brother will turn to Jesus. Maybe, maybe my father in some way will have clarity of mind that he could turn to Jesus. See, a translator, what, what he understood is that Jesus was the fulfillment that it wasn't money, that it wasn't riches, it wasn't treasure, but, but Jesus is the fulfillment. And what he longed for was, was Jesus to be with his father, was Jesus to be with his, his brother, that they would know him, that they would love him, they would worship him. As I sat there with him, tears flowing down his face, grateful that maybe when he gives that money, it will be the moment in time where his brother and his father will repent and turn in faith to Jesus and find their fulfillment and find a God to be with them in the midst of their life and their struggle. For us today, what do we do? See, Jesus is our fulfillment. He's your fulfillment. And we ought not wait for another. Today, we're going to, to sing a song in a minute. And the song's called Come to the Altar. And we're going to, the altars are always open when we sing. But this morning specifically, I'm going to ask that, that maybe today you would, you've been waiting for another. You've been waiting for something else to fall, for something else to happen in your life, for the love, the peace, the joy that you long for to come. And maybe this morning you come to the altar and you say, God, I don't need to wait for anything else. Even in the midst of the brokenness of this world, you are my fulfillment. Maybe, again, you have a wayward child, and it's ripping you apart inside. Maybe this morning you come and say, even if these things don't come together, you are my fulfillment. I give it to you. Maybe you have a struggle in your life. Maybe you've longed to be married. Maybe, maybe you have a, a death in your family, a brokenness in your family, a broken relationship. Whatever it is that might be holding you back to come and, and release it to God and say, God, it's yours. But not only might you come do that this morning after, we, after I pray, maybe you could say for the first time or again, you are my Emmanuel. You're with me. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe the idea of him being with you is far off, it's distant, it's unthinkable. This morning I tell you, if you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. If you will believe that he has raised his son from the dead, God will save you and he will redeem you and he will be with you. God does not have to remain distant. He desires to come in close. And maybe for you, you've given your life to Christ, but right now he just feels 
really distant. Sometimes we do it to ourselves that we keep God here because we're really afraid. What, what's going to happen? What's going to happen if he comes in close? What if his ways really became my ways? What if he came in close? What would, what would happen to my heart and my life? Let me tell you what would happen. You would be overwhelmed with his love. You'd be overwhelmed with his peace, and you'd be overwhelmed with his joy. He is the fulfillment of the deepest things that we want. We cannot fulfill those in ourselves. And this morning, maybe you would come down to these altars, and you would lay your hopes, your dreams, everything before him, and just say, you are my fulfillment. You are with me. I desire you more than anything else. See, the Christmas message at the heart of it is simply that. That God came, our Emmanuel came, the fulfillment came, Jesus is with us. So let's pray together, and after I pray, we're going to sing. And as we sing, maybe God will move in your life to lay things down before him that we might, might fully be and fully experience the fullness that God has for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown us through, the, through your son, Jesus. We believe, Jesus, that you are. You are our fulfillment. You are the one that fulfilled the prophecies of the old, and you are the one that are, is fulfilling everything we need for those of us who have believed. We believe that your love and your joy and peace are the things we long for, but Lord, we know that we run to so many other things for those so, Lord, help us to lay it down before you, our burdens, our, strial, our trials, our struggles, our sin. Lord, help us to, to not, res, not just walk away unresponsive to your word and to you, but help us to respond. Lord, there's a brokenness in all of us and a longing for all of us. And, Lord, we know, we know that you are our fulfillment. And, Lord, we know that you, you said that you would come and you'd be with us. It's the very character, the identity of who you are. Lord, forgive us for, for distancing ourselves from you. Lord, would you overwhelm us? And so, Lord, help us today to lay our marriages, to lay our children, to lay our lives, to lay our future, to lay our dreams, lay everything before you. Maybe for the one who's never believed their very own life, before you for the first time today, saying that you, you are their fulfillment, that you are the one they need to be with, you them and, and them you. Lord, move as we sing. Lead us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, let's sing and respond together.